Today is about a choice. We're going to be looking at two parables. We're continuing a series on the parables, and this morning we're looking at two of them. We're looking at the parable of the rock and the sand, but we're also going to look at a parable right before that, the good fruit and the bad fruit. And these are very short parables, but I want to put them into context for you. These parables are found in two different Gospels, in Matthew and Luke. We're going to focus mainly in Matthew this morning, but I do want you to see some stuff from the Luke passage too, because they give some different perspectives. But these parables, really all a parable is, in its rawest sense, is just an illustration. It's a way of teaching us that is practical to the way we live, and so it's helping us see something. And these parables in particular are coming at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So they're illustration, really application of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has done all this teaching. And as all of Jesus' teaching is, is teaching us the way to live. It's teaching us this concept of piety, of directing our whole life towards God, making him first, putting him first in every way. And so all of Jesus' teaching is wrapped up around this, and he's done this entire sermon teaching them how to live. And these are the closing illustrations of that message. It's the last two things that he says to help them understand it. And as a part of that, we have to understand that when we make choices, when we choose to follow God, there is cost. And you saw it here. Indiana had to make that choice. He chose to give his dad his other hand, and he chose to be pulled up, and he gave up the Holy Grail, what he had been looking for for so long. He found it, and he gave it up so that he could make it. And sometimes it's that way in our lives, too. There's a cost. We have to deny ourselves. We have to give up sometimes our dreams, sometimes the things that we think we want the worst, in order to trust God that he knows what's best for us and that he has something better. And so he says, let it go, and we make that choice. Let's jump right into the parable in Matthew chapter 7. This is the parable of the good fruit and the bad fruit, starting in verse 15, if you want to follow along. It says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but really are vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Okay, duh. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Makes sense. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The question is this. Do our actions match our words? Do they match the things we say? Because we can put on this facade of being a certain tree. We can put on this facade of being a certain person, but does the way we live back that up? Does it really match? Is it lip service or is it truly obedience? What kind of fruit do you produce? Ask yourself that. What kind of fruit are you producing? You know, we come to church on Sundays and and we do this thing and we say that we love God and we say that we're about Him. We say that we've chosen Him, a lot of us. But do we really show that in the way we live our lives? What do people see in you, especially the people who know you? If we were to ask your family who lives with you day in and day out, what would they say? What does your life show? What kind of fruit are you producing? If we were to ask your closest friends, not the ones who tell you what you want to hear, the ones who tell you how you really are, you know, those kinds of friends, what would they say? What would they say about the fruit that's being produced in your life? What does that look like to you? And then the second parable is found starting in verse 24. We're skipping ahead a few verses. We're going to come back and fill in the gap in a minute. But this parable about the rock and the sand starts in 24. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish 
like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And then I love the way he puts it in Luke. This is the same passage, just a little different perspective. So why do you keep calling to me, Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. The question is this, what are you building on? See, this, this illustration to me is pretty simple to understand from a practical standpoint, especially we live in Florida. We live on sand. So we understand the importance of a foundation. You know, maybe you're not into construction and don't understand how houses are built, but if you watch, the most work in a house goes into the foundation, making sure everything is tamped down and compacted and solid and they have something to build on. Before they ever pour that first slab of concrete, there has to be solid foundation. You don't see this so much in houses, but especially in commercial buildings. I remember when they were building sands down the street on Lakeland Highlands. You remember driving by there and watching all the pilings that they were driving into the ground, getting ready to put that building in? Just all kinds of steel that they were driving down into the ground to find a solid foundation and create a foundation so that the building would not break or crumble or slip. Same reason we have problems in our houses. Many of you have probably experienced this, where your foundation slips just a little bit and your floor cracks. You know, that ceramic tile has the little hairline crack through it because the foundation has shifted a little. It is critical that you get that solid foundation that you build on. That's just an, an easy architectural concept. But it's the same way when you put it in the spiritual context. And the Jews understood this as Jesus was teaching. They understood when he talked about the rock that he was talking about building on God, building on God's ways. They saw him as the rock. And so Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you how to live, and I'm, I'm telling you, live on, based with your life on me. Your life is based on me. Build on the rock. Build on that solid foundation as you build your life. And so we're asked that question, are we building on Christ? Is he our life's foundation? What do you say? Is he really your life's foundation? What does it look like outside of Sunday morning? You know, it's easy to come to church and be a Christian. It's easy to come to church and follow God and have our spiritual filling every week. But what happens when we leave these walls? What happens when we go outside of here on Sunday mornings? Do we still live that out? Are we still basing our life on him? Are we still trusting him completely? It's a matter of taking the knowledge we have, the teaching that we hear, the things that we know and understand, and putting them into practice, taking it from head knowledge to heart knowledge, living it out, making it real in our lives. James says it like this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't just hear it. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Hearing and understanding who God is and understanding the picture of that relationship is important, but putting it into practice is even more important. Living it out, doing what he says. So you may be asking, well, what does that look like? And I'll be honest, these are some hard illustrations as you go through some of this stuff. I mean, you read the words that Jesus said, and it's just plain harsh at times. It's hard to follow. It's hard to reconcile. But what does that look like in a practical way? I think one example is when we choose to say yes to marriage, even when the circumstances don't make sense. And I'm not picking on anybody, but I, I see this over and over and over. 
where people have made a choice to live together and they're not getting married because of whatever reason. There's, there's all these different excuses and reasons. And some of them are really good. There have been, been reasons that I've heard that I go, man, you're right, that's tough, that's a hard decision. But it's making the choice to be obedient anyway and knowing that God says that we are to live together in the bounds of marriage, that that's the picture that he's painted. And being obedient regardless of the circumstances. It may be as simple as choosing to lead your family in devotions. And I'm going to talk specifically to the guys for a minute because this is really on us. As the husband, as the father, one of our responsibilities is to lead our family. And sometimes we go, well, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. This is making the choice to do it anyway, to learn together, to try together, taking time to read Scripture or to pray or to try to answer questions. It's okay that you don't know the answer. Find it. Ask someone to work with you. It's making that choice to say, even though I don't know exactly what I'm doing and I'm not sure how to go about this, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what that picture of building on the rock looks like, that foundation. Maybe it's hosting a French student. We just talked about that just a minute ago. Heather was telling you, let me tell you, this is a critical thing that we as a church do. If you have not spent time with these students when they come over, you don't understand the impact that it makes when you host a student. We have one of our students here this morning. Hannah, I won't embarrass her, even though I just pointed her out. But <clears throat> Hannah is a returning student from last year. She came last year, was here for three weeks with the French program, and has come back this year to see her host family because they built that kind of a bond. You know, it was a wonderful experience for her. And I remember last week as she was leaving, she goes, I had forgotten how good TBA is. And it's not just TBA of coming and doing worship on Sunday morning. It's the relationships that are built and the people that you're able to be around. It's our opportunity to truly be Jesus' hands and feet to students who have never experienced that. When they go to church in France, it's not the same experience. It's a very disconnected kind of experience. This is what they've shared with us. And so we have the opportunity to really be Jesus to them, to help them understand what that relationship looks like. It's an amazing opportunity. If you have not signed up, please do so. Let me phrase it to you in a little different way. When you think about your life, do you find life in Christ? Or do you try to fit Christ into your life? Think about it. Is your life built upon God? Is it built upon his way, upon what he wants for you? Or do you just try to kind of squeeze him into the way you're already doing things? I've got to be honest. This past week as I was studying and getting ready for this, it seemed like the more I read, the more I found myself questioning, what are my motivations? You know, why am I even a pastor? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I choose to invest in people? Is it for the right reasons? Is my heart really right? Do I get it? You know, am I really building my life on Christ? I mean, yeah, I've got all these practices and all these disciplines in place, but am I really getting it? Or am I just kind of squeezing God and squeezing church and squeezing Christ into the way I want to do things already? It's tough sometimes when you look in the mirror and you really think about how you live your life day in and day out. See, here's the thing. We're all building a house. We're building our house. And there's no option, there's no, I'm choosing not to build a house. You're building a house, one way or the other. The question is, what does the foundation of your house look like? Because all of our houses may look the same on the outside. You can build a beautiful house on top of sand. And the first storm that comes through is going to crumble. It's going to fall apart because the foundation is going to disintegrate. So our houses can look the same on the outside, but when the storms come, they show what our foundation is. 
And so you have to ask yourself, what is your foundation? See, life is this constant balance, and I don't know of any great way to describe this, but it's this constant balance, this constant tension of choosing to be obedient so that we can understand the heart versus on the other side there's this overflow of heart because of relationship that leads us to be obedient. And they kind of weave together in and out, and it's this constant tension that's there. One time it's, you know, I'm so connected and I'm in relationship and the overflow of my heart causes me to want to be obedient to what God's saying. And then there's other times where maybe I'm not quite as connected or maybe I'm struggling with that and I just have to make that choice to say I'm going to be obedient anyway. I'm going to do what you're saying anyway. I'm going to trust you anyway, even though it doesn't quite make sense right now. And that is what we find leads us to that heart connection because we begin to trust him more and begin to understand more and begin to have different perspective of what that looks like. See, here's what was hard for me this week as I was studying. I realized that Jesus is primarily talking to the Pharisees and much of his challenge. And the Pharisees in this day are basically me except without all the money. The Pharisees were rich. I mean, they were, they were wealthy people. And you have to understand that when, in that day, they looked at people who were wealthy and they said, well, they have the blessing of God. They are the righteous ones because God has blessed them. And, and wealth was a picture of righteousness to the Jews in this time. But these Pharisees were the religious leaders and they were the ones who were doing everything right. Well, I kind of messed up on that part because I don't do everything right. But the Pharisees really, they were literally obeying everything to the letter of the law. You've heard us use the illustration several times about the seven woes of the Pharisees and how they would tie the tenth of their spices. I'm not talking about just their income and their wheat and their grain and those things. Their spices, these little tiny spices, they would tithe a tenth of them. They would give a tenth away because that was what the law said to do. And they were obedient all the way to the letter of the law. But Jesus looks at him and he says, you don't get it. You're missing it. You're missing the big picture. You're missing what grace looks like. You're missing the understanding of love, of loving God and loving others. You're missing the heart of it. You get it here. You've read it. You understand it. You can recite it. You have it memorized. You're going through all the actions. But you've missed it here. You've missed that connection. You're missing out on it. Look at the passage that falls in between these two parables. And you saw a little piece of this in Luke a while ago, but in Matthew there's a very specific couple of verses here. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. He's talking to the Pharisees here who were doing the law. They got it, but they missed the big picture. They missed the heart connection. This is tough. I read through this and I go, man, this is harsh. It's hard to understand this. It's hard to wrap my head around it. But really what he's saying here is what is your motivation? What are you setting your heart on? Look inside your heart. What is your motivation? Because if it's not Christ, you've missed it. If you're not really building on the rock of who he is and letting him be the foundation, you're missing it. We talk all the time about salvation or about crossing the line, about following Christ. But see, it's so much more than just a one-time experience. It's so much more than just a, a one-and-done kind of thing. It's part of this journey. The journey begins as God pursues us, and he pursues all of us. And then we make that choice to say, I'm going to follow you. 
I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you a part of my life. In fact, I'm going to wrap my life around you. I'm going to let you be that foundation for my life. But then it's this constant process of working out that salvation, of understanding the relationship, of building on that, and learning and growing and allowing him to change us. Paul tells us in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There are numerous times throughout the New Testament where we see from Jesus and from several of the other apostles telling us to work out our salvation, to put it into practice. Not just to say the words, not just to do that one act, but to follow it out, to truly follow Christ, to build on the rock. It means every day making that decision. Every day getting out of bed and going, my motivations, I need to look at them today. What are my motivations? Are they really following after Jesus? Am I really building on the rock? Am I really building on that foundation? And making that choice every day to follow him. So maybe you find yourself asking the question, well, how do I know if I'm building on the rock? You know, what's that look like? How do I know if that's really what I'm doing? And I think I could ask you this one simple question that would probably sum it up. Have you paid a price to follow Christ in your life? Because it talks about how we have to deny ourselves, how we need to be crucified with Christ. We need to give up our old ways. Have you paid a price to follow Christ? Have you been in that moment where he said, let it go, and you chose to let it go? And sometimes what he asks you to let it go of is just like that video clip. It's a good thing. Indiana Jones is going after the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. It's this prize. But he says, let it go. Let that go because I've got something better. And we don't have the perspective to be able to see that. It's a matter of having to trust him in those moments. But self-denial is required. Has your life really changed? I love the way 1 John puts it in 1 John 1, chapter, or verse 6. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And just a few verses later in 1 John 2, verse 4, he says, If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Again, these are harsh statements. But it's painting that picture of how we've got to live it out. It's got to be more than just lip service. It's got to be more than head knowledge. It has to be a connection in the heart and the way we do things and the way we go about life and our actions. What fruits are you producing? See, bearing fruit is a mark of a Christ follower. It's putting our faith into action James says it best here in James chapter 2. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Think about what that says for a moment. Your actions say more to the people around you than anything your mouth will ever express. Think about it. Your actions, the way you live your life, the way you do things says more to the people around you, the people in relationship with you, than anything you will ever say with your mouth. I can stand up here every Sunday and talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. And if you watch me go out into the world and I'm not doing it, you don't care what I have to say. And trust me, if you watch me long enough, you'll see me mess up somewhere along the way, I promise. But that's the beauty of grace. Because we're not perfect and we don't always get it right, but it's constantly striving to do the right thing, to be obedient, to follow what God is telling us to do, regardless of whether it's easy or hard. And most of the time it's going to be hard. Let's just be honest about it. He doesn't say, come follow me, it's going to be easy. 
He says, you're going to have to give up everything to come and follow me. There's a cost involved. But it is well worth it. It's well worth it. When the storms of life hit, what happens in your life? Because storms are going to come. Trials are going to come. But when they hit, what happens? Is that the moment where you depend on God? Is it the moment where your trust is built and your faith is strengthened? Or is it the moment where you fall apart and you run away? That will tell you what your foundation looks like. Because the storms reveal the foundation. It doesn't matter how pretty the house is, in the storm it crumbles if the foundation is not solid. The bottom line is this. We have two choices. And I want to emphasize this. We only have two choices. There's life or death. There's the rock or there's the sand. There's good fruit. There's bad fruit. There is no gray area. There's no sitting on the sidelines. There's no riding the fence. Choosing not to choose is the same as choosing death. There's two choices. It's one or the other. It's black and it's white. It's simple, but it's so hard. We've kind of coined this phrase in our staff meeting, simplexity. And that, that just that says this. Simplexity is so simple in concept, but it is so complex and so difficult to do. But it's a choice. Life or death. Are you going to follow Christ or are you going to keep following your own ways? Which one are we doing? Where are we at? Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Matthew. He's talking to his disciples. And it goes back to this whole Pharisee illustration. And he says to them, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And you stop and you think about the context of what he's saying to them. For them, they're going, how in the world can anybody make it then? Because the, the rich, the wealthy, they are the ones who are blessed by God. They are the ones who are righteous. They are the ones that God is blessing. And if it's that hard for them to get into heaven, how in the world will I make it? Because I don't have all those things. I don't have that, that stigma to me. I'm not the wealthy person. I don't have God's blessing that's so obvious in my life. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How? And he responds like this. Matthew 19, verse 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. Let that resonate with you for a minute. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. You can't make it. But with God, everything is possible. See, this is why the foundation is so important. Because when we try to do it our way and storms come, we crumble and we fall. But when we build on God, when we build on His foundation, we can stand strong because it's not us who will change. It's not us who will change our actions. It is not within our strength that we can change who we are or what we do. It's only in His strength. It is only because of what Christ did for us on the cross. It is the power that we have from that because Christ went all the way to death on the cross and gave his life for us so that we could come back into communion with God and live in that power, the power of his death and resurrection. That is the only way that we can change. The only way. This morning, I want us to receive communion as a part of our response. And if you would, you got this little cup as you came in. Grab that. And no, this is not from Indiana Jones, the movie, The Holy Grail, as he was diving for. But it is that picture. It's a picture of the cup of Christ. 
And this actually comes from the Holy Land. These were given to us to be able to hand out to you guys. But these come from the Holy Land. They're made of olive wood. And it is very much a picture that will remind us of Christ and his sacrifice. If you didn't get one of these, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will bring them around. I know some of you didn't get them as you came in probably. But if you did not get one and you want it, please raise your hand. They'll bring it to you. But I want you to take this this morning. We're going to receive communion here in a moment. And communion is that picture of what Christ did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us, the reason that our lives can change, the reason that we can live it out and make it a part of our heart, and the reason we can be in relationship. Because that's the picture that's painted here. Jesus is saying, you can't do this just based on the letter of the law. You're not good enough, and none of us are. But in relationship with me, with my power, with my strength, you can do this. And this is that picture that we can take with us to remind us of that, to remind us of that relationship we have with Christ, to remind us of his sacrifice, to remind us of the power that we can live our lives with. So I would encourage you to take this home with you this morning. Put it somewhere that you will see it and be reminded. Be reminded of that relationship. Be reminded of the power that you live your life with because of Christ's sacrifice. As we receive communion this morning, just some logistics. There's four stations set up. They're in the corners of the room at these tables with the black tablecloths. And as the band's going to come up and they're going to play, and I'm going to encourage you just to take some time in your seats and reflect for a few moments before you come and receive the elements. And then you can go to whichever table is easiest for you to go to and take your time in doing so as you receive the elements. But as I said a while ago, there's only two choices. It's the rock or the sand. It's life or death. And we're choosing one way or the other. We're making a choice. We're either choosing death by not choosing or we're choosing life and asking him to fill us and to allow us to live in relationship with him. So this morning as I, would, as I pray, I would encourage you, if you have not made that decision already, to follow Christ. Let today be a starting point for that. Or maybe you're kind of like where I was this past week and you've made that decision and you're following him, you're trying to do the right things, but you realize that sometimes your motivations get a little messed up and you realize that sometimes your perspective gets a little skewed and you forget that it's all about him and not about me because we all get into that sometimes. So maybe you need to take some time just to kind of reset this morning and realign your motivations and make sure that Christ is first Make sure that you're living that life of piety, directing your whole life towards him, that you're living that out. Just take some time and, and reflect and search your heart and search your motivations as we pray today. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you love us so much and we thank you that, that you care about what is best for us and you want what is best. And you are continually following after us and pursuing us and inviting us to come and be a part to be in relationship with you. We thank you for that. And God, I thank you that you have given us strength to be able to change, that you change us. It's not in our power, it's not what we can do, but it is what you can do through us. And I thank you for being willing to do that, for, for being willing to change us and to live in us and to allow us to see things as you see them, giving us your eyes. God, help us this morning to search our hearts, to search our motivations, to, to look at the foundation that we're building upon and to make sure that we have put you first and are keeping you there and are trusting in you and depending upon you. Build our faith, strengthen us, create that solid foundation. Let today be a starting point for that. Allow us to leave this place changed and beginning change in our lives today. We love you.